This morning we're going to pick up a lesson or teaching-wise where we did or where we started two weeks ago and talk about the imminent return of Jesus, simply part two. Uh, I think I didn't get my correction in on time, but I learned imminent has two M's. So uh, you probably saw that two weeks ago. I kept looking at that two weeks ago. That doesn't look right, but what I did not do is look it up. And when I was working on this way, I've got to look that up. That doesn't seem right. I thought I got the correction in on time. Obviously, I did not. Uh, I am M. And I'm a teacher, too. <laughs> Very embarrassing. I-N-E-N-T. The imminent return, which simply means something that's it's about to happen, but you, you don't exactly know when. We're going to see how Scripture explores that uh, in a second part today by looking at when can we expect Christ to return? If he has not returned yet, when can we expect him uh, to return? Our challenges in looking at Christ's return is dealing with the here and now world. Most of us are all basking in the celebration of last night's victory with the 49ers. What a great game. Uh, many life lessons. I heard Jackie sharing those lessons with Oliver and Audrey uh, before uh, worship began. A lot of life lessons about being strong, taking on adversity, coming from just a football game. So a lot that could be shared there. But again, it was still simply a football game, but it was our 49ers. But whether it be a football game or the ongoing health challenge of our COVID responses and how to deal with uh, the pandemic, we are always going to have before us earthbound concerns or distractions. Sometimes they may be sinful things that we're trying to rid, uh, get rid of in our lives, but a lot of times they will be simply things that will keep us bound in a mindset where here's the life to either take on or to enjoy, whether it be a football game and celebrating it or taking on the challenge of COVID. But the concern will always, at least in temptation, to be earthbound and literally forget all about there's a great day coming. And that there's the return of Christ that could happen at any moment that we really need to be ready for and prepare for because that is our destiny. Our destiny is not our retirement. It's not re arriving at a certain milestone regarding our job or education, anything like that. But simply recognizing we're on a pilgrimage towards heaven and Christ's return will usher us into our heavenly home. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, we should set our mind on things that are above. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that we are, he reminds Christians to know that their citizenship is in heaven. So we live on this earth, but our heart, our devotion, our priorities are elsewhere. Well, this morning the question is, when will Jesus return? If he hasn't yet, when will he return? The same question was asked in the first century. One of the texts we'll look at this morning, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, it was almost asked in a scoffing way in that chapter, but where is this coming, people would ask. And we might ask if it is imminent, why has it not happened in 2,000 years? And even if it hasn't happened in 2,000 years, how much longer is it likely to be till Christ returns? We'll explore what Scripture says about that today because Scripture simply says it's always imminent. I want to revisit four passages we looked at at the beginning of last week. First of all, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. 
This is at the ascension of Jesus. Go ahead and go to the next slide, uh, Nathaniel. Verse 9, Acts chapter 1, Luke records, after he said this, he was taken up, that is Jesus, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. That's the apostles, verse 10. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So here we see an early New Testament teaching that Christ was promised to return to us and he returned in the same way that he ascended into heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So here we're told to wait until the Lord comes. He does not say wait around, but to wait in the sense of anticipation. Wait in the sense of his return is imminent. It could happen any moment. Be ready. Another text where we see a continuance of biblical teaching and a consistency concerning the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 19. Paul writes to the Thessalonican Christian and says, What is our hope? Our joy or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Here Paul's saying the glory or the joy of the apostles is simply in them and uh, Christ's investment in their life, but he invokes again when he comes. This is the pivotal event. This is where the hearts and the minds of believers were to be focused upon being the kind of people that Christ died for when Christ comes. Another text, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John writes to the believers in this book, Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when, not if, but when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The point of looking at these texts is simply to show that Christians were to, li were to live with a heightened sense of anticipation, not fear, not a sense of calculating the days and trying to figure out exactly what day it would happen, but a general sense of heightened anticipation concerning the return of Jesus. That was the event of their life, <laughs> not anything else that they were to ultimately prepare for. So this morning, we're going to try to look at simply the question, well, when? Is there any hint or any clue in Scripture or any place we ought to go to try to figure out a sense of when or maybe look at it from the perspective of, is there a reason why Christ has not returned yet? Uh, if they were to anticipate it in the first century, and we're 2,000 years later, what is the reason, if any in Scripture, for why Christ has not returned? And if there is a reason, how does it change how we live? Well, if we're trying to figure out the when or the time of Christ's return, which is a big question, 
Because throughout time, religious groups have tried to figure out when. Either they just want to know, just like we want to know when a baby's going to be born, or what's the delivery date, or what's the anticipated day of the birth. We want to know dates. We want to know birthdays. We want to know when something's coming so we can be ready. So there's been a genuine desire simply to know when Christ is going to return so we'll be ready. But there's also been religious groups that have taken advantage of that desire to know, and Josh alluded to that a week ago or two, simply to unduly get people worked up and use that to foster a continued growth of their own religious movement. Some groups have taken advantage of, the, of a sense of fear about the return of Christ and tried to enlarge their own numbers by simply saying, well, here's the date. It's going to happen now. And they'll put billboards up or advertisements to try to increase their own following. As Josh well taught, that is simply not the emphasis of Scripture. But usually that happens because groups will look at wrong places in Scripture for an idea about when Christ will return. If we are going to look at Scripture, we have to look at the right places. But first of all, let's look at wrong places to look. Um, a lot of times in uh, my work as a teacher, I'll tell students they need to Google something. They need to look up something regarding history. But not just to Google anything. Uh, thankfully, Google helps us a lot by the more keywords you put in, the more directly you'll go to the answer you're looking for. I do that with car repair all the time with my older car. I'll try to be as specific as I can on Google because I need to find exactly what's wrong or what part I need. So we want to be as specific as possible. Just because something's in the Bible doesn't mean we've arrived at the right place. Just like just because you can find something on Google, like cars, doesn't mean you're at the place concerning your car that you need to look. Here are two wrong places to look. Even though they might look right, once you arrive there, they're really talking about something different. First of all, Matthew chapter 24. I'm just going to reference these uh, and then go on to simply the right places to look. But in Matthew chapter 24, this chapter describes, and it's the direct words of Jesus himself, it's an extended text, where Jesus describes a coming judgment upon the Jewish nation in the first century. Uh, they've rejected their Messiah, and because of that rejection, the Jewish nation will be rejected as simply being God's people just by virtue of birth. From that point onward, they will need to be God's people by virtue of choosing the Messiah. Because God's work with the physical nation will end and that will be signified by the temple being destroyed and Jesus speaks to that event. And it's simply the Roman Empire coming in to the area of Judea and overthrowing it. If you look at chapter 24 verses 1 through 3, also verses 15 through 21, verse 34, you realize that what's being talked about is the coming of Christ in judgment upon the Jewish nation, not a final return of Christ or His second coming, as we call it. It's simply His coming in judgment upon the people that have refused to accept Christ as the Messiah. The disciples ask about that in verses 1 through 3. That tells us that there's some other type of coming that's involved in that chapter. Um, verses 15 to verse 21 talks about people being able 
to escape as far as to hide in the hills and things like that. Things you could not do in the return of Jesus. And then verse 34 says that these things will not come past except with this generation. So that gives us clues that that coming of judgment is simply upon the Jews of the first century. So that's not a place to look for the second coming of Christ. Neither is the book of Revelation. People think, well, it's the last book. (laughs) Certainly that talks about the end of the world and the return of Christ. It really does not. The book of Revelation is very similar in ways to Matthew chapter 24. The book of Revelation... It should be this book, not this chapter. But this book describes a coming judgment of God upon the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was persecuting uh, Christians at that time, and that persecution would intensify. So verses one, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as Josh talked about in his lesson, speak to the fact that these things would happen soon. That is a judgment upon the Roman Empire that was persecuting Christians. It's not talking about the second coming of Christ or the general return of Christ. There's other places in chapter 16, verse 19, 17, verse 9, that indicate it's Rome that's under consideration that will receive judgment from God. So basically, in a nutshell, those are two places not to go. Well, the question then would be, well, where do you go? That's where we'll spend our time now for just a, a few moments. When will Jesus return? Here's the right places to look. First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Peter. If you're looking for teaching upon the return of Christ, these are the places to go. Why? First of all, there's four letters written by two different apostles. One Peter, the Apostle Paul. Apostles were hand-chosen followers of Jesus Christ that were to carry on the mission of Him upon this earth. They received direct revelation from God concerning what they wrote about. And there's extended teaching on the return of Christ. There's not just a verse here or there, but there's extended passages on the return of Christ. So that's the place to go where you find extended teaching on the very subject of Christ's return. There's straightforward language. Uh, The book of Revelation contains a lot of what's called apocalyptic language, which is unusual to us, but it's found a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, The figurative type of language that apocalyptic language is, a lot of times will lead us to wrong conclusions about exactly what's meant if we don't read it right. But in 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 1 and 2 Peter, very straightforward, literal language as you read it. Also, these chapters are answering questions about the return of Christ. So this is simply the right place to go when looking for answers. So that's where we're going to spend our time. First of all, concerning when Christ will return, here's the one thing we do know. The time is unknown, except that it will be unexpected. This is what stands out first concerning the return of Christ in Scripture. The time is unknown, except that it will be unexpected. Go ahead and look now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is one of the chapters and the books where we can go to find a direct answer. I want to start reading with chapter 4 verse 13 because that's where the teaching on the return of Christ begins. 
We looked at this last uh, lesson. We'll look at it again, but we'll focus now on chapter 5, 1 through 3, because we find the time element being addressed in chapter 5, 1 through 3. First of all, verse 13, chapter 4, and then you'll see come up on the screen, chapter 5, 1 through 3. Paul writes in 4.13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now we're going to chapter 5, 1 through 3. Here's the time element under consideration. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, there it is. The question we want to know most often, times and dates, when, when's it going to happen? About times and dates, we do not need to write you or write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I'll just add verse 4. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Okay, we can learn a lot about the timing of Christ's return simply from these first three verses of chapter 5. First of all, we're told it's about times and dates. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look here. I'm addressing the very thing that is very pressing in the minds of many. He says, first of all, verse 1, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What Paul says here when he says we don't need to write you is that he had already given instruction about this subject. Early Christians had already been taught about the return of Christ and the timing of it. So he's indicating he's already taught about it, but he's simply reiterating what he said. He says, verse 2, For you know very well the day of the Lord, and just pause there, the day of the Lord in the context here is the return of Christ. Because that's what was under discussion in the end of chapter 4. The day of the Lord will come, it says, like a thief in the night. There's our clue. (laughs) 
That's not a day. That's not a year. Exactly. That's the only sense of timing that we have. And that's exactly the way God wanted it. What does that mean? He's coming like a thief in the night. Well, we think in negative ways when we think of a thief in the night coming. And in a very real way, we should. But the idea there is he's coming unexpectedly. In fact, he's probably coming in a time people will least expect it, which is the opposite of what a lot of religious groups try to teach. They try to teach, well, we have difficult times now, and, and that's happened all throughout the centuries, where groups will look at really difficult things going on in their time, whether it be World War I, World War II, uh, the Cold War, some have taken advantage of the pandemic, things like that. Well, this is signs that Christ is going to return because it looks real bad. And sure enough, on the news, it looks real bad all the time. They'll say, well, this is the time maybe that Christ is going to return. If anything, it's the opposite. Notice what people will be saying in the general time that Christ returns. While people are saying, verse 3, what? Peace and safety. Destruction will come upon them. If anything, if there's any indication of the general time frame of Christ's return, it's going to be a time where people are basically comfortable. It's not going to be a time of heightened hostility between countries or plagues upon the earth, things like that. It's going to be a time where things are pretty comfortable. It says they will be saying peace and safety, but destruction will come upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, the emphasis of this text is upon those who are hostile or at least ambivalent towards Jesus. They're going to experience this, and they won't even be looking for it. But simply for the believer, it could happen at any moment. But if there's any sense of timing, it will be a time where most people will be thinking, hey, this is a good time, let's enjoy it. That's the only real time frame we have. It's going to be completely unexpected. So Scripture keeps putting forward the idea that when Christ comes or at His appearing, but there's not any more specificity given to that timing other than it being unexpected. So that simply means we always have to be ready. Well, how do you prepare for that? We have to do it all the time at school with drills. Our assistant principal in charge of the five different drills we do at school just will tell us we have a drill coming this month. And that's all he tells us. And he's the only one that knows the exact time and date they're going to do it. What period? He doesn't even tell his right-hand people. He wants it to be completely unexpected, but still us knowing it's coming this month. <clears throat> so what do we do? We practice. We practice, practice, practice. What to do if it is some outside threat to the school? We practice uh, what to do if simply maybe a wild dog has ran into the school that's a threat. We practice if some chemical is coming through the uh, AC system. We practice for everything, an earthquake. But whenever the drills happen, we never know the exact time. Because what's going to happen? We'll all just kind of, all right, it's going to come in five minutes. Then we'll start getting ready. 
But if we never really know when it's coming, we'll always be ready. I know exactly where our, our safety bag is. It has all the supplies, so we need to be outside of school for a while. I've got a sign that says A004, which is my class number, to tell the students, here I am, come over to me. We know exactly where to go on the football field. Uh, for my class, we have cards that take, we take attendance on. We have emails we have to send out. We have all kinds of things to do that we're always practicing, though we never know exactly when the drill is going to come. So the point is, you always be ready. You practice, practice, practice being ready. And that's what Scripture tells believers to do. In light of not knowing exact day or time or year, just always be ready. That's the right approach. We do that with other things. We simply need to do it with the return of Christ. Second, and this will be our final point concerning the return of Christ. Concerning when he'll return, his return will happen when God's patience is complete. Christ's return will happen when God's patience is complete. Go ahead and learn, uh, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We've already looked at the answer to when. We don't know. It's simply unexpected. It was for Christians in the first century, 2,000 years ago, the same for us today. Well, a natural question that would come up next is, well, why? Why wait so long? I mean, 2,000 years is a long time to us, and it could be 2,000 or more years. And we start thinking, well, why hasn't it happened yet? And that's what causes some to go into a state of complacency. Well, if it hasn't happened yet, maybe it's never going to happen. <clears throat> or maybe we missed it. Or something like that. Let's see what Second Peter teaches us about the return of Christ and why Christ has not yet returned. Let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 3 of the second book. But we'll focus on verses 8 through 10. So if you have your Bible with me, we'll start at verse 1. But we'll focus on what's said in verses 8 through 10. Here Peter's writing about the return of Christ, or the day of the Lord as he calls it. He says, Dear friends, verse 1, chapter 3, This is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Verse 3 now. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it, since, as it has since the beginning of creation. Verse 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. 
Verse 6, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8 now, here's our answer to why he hasn't returned yet. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Let's stop here. The teaching goes on, but we'll stop here because we're going to focus simply on why he has not returned yet. First of all, in verse 3, it talks about scoffers who would say, well, why hasn't he come? Everything's just the way we've always seen it. <coughs> Peter goes on to say, First of all, in verse 8, in answer to that, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Peter's saying that the Lord simply works on a different timetable. There are no clocks in his house. There are no reminders, no buzzers, no watches, saying, okay, you've got to be here at this point, <coughs> excuse me, or be there at that time. The Lord simply is not constricted by the time parameters that we have on ourselves. So one day is as a thousand years. So even though it seems like a long time for us, for the Lord it's not a long time. So that helps reframe how we think about it. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, the question still is, well, why? We understand the Lord's not bound by our time constraints, but why then wait? Notice what's said in verse 9. <clears throat> the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. Let's catch that real quick. It's not like He's just delaying to be delaying for delaying's sake. He's not slow in keeping His promise. So don't think He's involved with other things and He's just distracted. That's not the point. Or He doesn't care anymore. So the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There's the answer as to why not yet. He's patient with us. Remember how much God has invested in this world. He invested the life of His own Son. And throughout the centuries and the millenniums of time, he's pursued a people that he might save them. And based on what this verse is saying, verse 9, is that is also the reason why he's not sent a son in return. 
He simply wants more people to be saved. He's holding out that more people might come to him. Again, he's patient with you, he says, not wanting anyone to perish, because there will be a day of judgment and a day of reckoning. But that's not what God is wanting for mankind. If more people could be saved. He says, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. That means he wants more of your family to have the opportunity to come to him. He wants your friends that you've been friends with for years. He wants them to come around to repentance. Neighbors, co-workers, even the people that you see on television you do not know, those are people that God loves. And in His infinite patience and desire that they be saved, He's holding back the return of His Son. We might wonder, when is that patience exhausted? I don't know. But for those that I know that are outside of Christ or resisting God in some way, I want that patience to continue, that they might be saved. And as Thomas so well said in his prayer, that their restlessness might continue till they find their rest in God. That's a beautiful way of capturing but God Himself is looking for their ultimate coming to Him. That's what explains why it hasn't happened yet. But how long that patience goes on, I don't know. I know I shouldn't presume upon it and think that everyone has as much time as they want. But I also shouldn't restrict it to say, well, God's going to come in 20 years because it's getting really bad in this country right now. That's not the way the Lord is looking at it. And that's not the way Scripture looks at it. His return will happen when His patience is complete. The exact time and date, we don't know. It's going to come unexpectedly. Be ready all the time. But just know as we wait, as every day goes on, He hasn't returned yet. It's simply so that others might come to repentance. Which puts more emphasis upon what our role is in the life of people that we want to see come to repentance. Do we spread the message more? Do we seek to communicate more? Do we set the best example we can be for people that are outside of Christ? Because God is giving them time. <clears throat> but He's also using us in that process. He's not going to force anyone to love Him or make a decision to obey Him, but He will use us as influencers to bring that person to Him. Let us seize the time just as He's wanting them to seize the time. But let us also be ready at any moment for Christ's return. It could happen at any time. Simply be ready. As we leave today, let us remember these truths as we go on the rest of this week. That every day, despite its joys and sorrows, is still another day that just brings us closer to eternity. As many said, live every day as if this is your last. Not in some frightful sense, but to use the days well. But always have your bags packed. Be ready to go. Should the alarm sound, and it's not a drill. Be ready to go.
And when Christ returns, if we are all alive, we'll be ushered up in the air together to be with Him forever. That's why it's called a great day. There's a great day coming. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song to encourage anyone to make a decision, either privately to go forward and follow in Christ or take advantage of the great spiritual setting we have here to make a decision to be obedient or to be repentant in some way and have the encouragement and support of the people that are here. You can be baptized into Christ, making a commitment to put away the old life and to take on a new life so that you'll know you're ready You'll know you're ready for the return of Christ. Simply make a decision to go forward today with whatever you need to in your life and you will not regret it. You'll make yourself ready for the return of Christ. Let's stand and sing the song as Nathaniel encourages us.